0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets, and investments. Now available on your Amazon Alexa.
1: Hello, and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the key themes in markets as well as a selection of UK equities. And to do that once more, we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thanks for being with us this morning.
0: Good morning, John. How are you doing?
1: Yes, very well, very well. Um, Busy old week so far and lots to discuss uh, today on the the podcast. Um, So looking forward to this one, in particular, because we've got uh, a number of uh, interesting companies and ones that are really grabbing the headlines at the moment. So we're going to really delve into into those today, Alan. So, I mean, let's start off, Alan, looking at this FTSE 100, trading just above 7,500 indeed not too much difference from where we saw it last week when we were we were on the podcast however we have seen a bit of volatility in the meantime but we, we saw quite a strong rally in markets yesterday in in risk assets in particular equities listed here in London had a very good day and that was on comments um coming out on reports that that russia um could be um, open to negotiations they they were looking at you know shifting their focus um in Ukraine and you know looking at some uh, reports from military experts, I was reading one a couple of weeks ago who who forecast that, that Russia may you know look to, to shift their attention to the East and you know take that as a as a small victory for for Putin to take back to, to Moscow and that could thankfully be um if it if it happens the end of this conflict. Um, and and it looks as though yesterday they've made similar Sounds to that, but speaking before the podcast, um, there's a little bit of um, you know speculation around that, around whether you know that he actually means that, whether that's going to you know play out because there's obviously still reports there um, of attacks happening in Kiev, although they've said they're going to be um, looking at uh, dialing down the fighting there. It doesn't seem to be happening. I mean, Alan, it, it, you know, sort of looking at the, you know the re- reliability of the comments coming out from you know Russia in, and Ukraine. Is that something you would take any optimism from at all? Of course, the markets, you know, showed a bit of optimism on those comments yesterday, but, you know, we're slightly down in the foot to 100 today. I mean, do you think that is a market reaction of saying, okay, yes, we may be moving towards the end of this, but really we're still a long way off?
0: Yes, or, or perhaps in Churchill's words, um, this isn't the uh, beginning of the end, it's the end of the beginning, uh, you know, which I think uh, was so prophetic at the time. And, uh, um I mean, let's not forget that you know, even if um, even if an agreement is made with Russia to uh, concede on the eastern territories uh, to become you know part of the Russian Empire and give Russia uh, access to to the, to to the the Black Sea there, which of course is is what uh, all this is about as much as anything. Um, you know, it's been achieved in a terrible fashion, and I I can't see that the world will let Putin just walk away from this. Um, he may take a victory back to Russia. But I think the the crushing effect the sanctions have had on the Russian economy, the, the valuation of the ruble is has uh, collapsed against uh, major currencies. Um, and this is, you know, historically under Putin, I, I looked at something last week, which showed how the ruble had performed under uh, P- Putin's stewardship. And it's it doesn't make doesn't make for good reading at all um you know he's he's not he's not really um built the russian economy uh globally all he's done is continue to rearm and can continue to bolster his military and we've now seen how that that performs against a determined and motivated uh, uh um, uh, um uh, uh, country like uh like the ukraine um but the, the the fact is that um as we move forward uh the Russia will um, will will want to start to re-engage with the world again, and um, if these peace talks peace talks are in fact um, uh, to, to come to fruition, then it may well be that uh, Putin um, will uh, will will be able to uh, work his way back into the global economy at some level. It's um it, it, it it's hard to see right now, but of course what we're now seeing is is markets trying to absorb the ramifications of the uh, of the possible outcome of the peace talks and you know bearing in mind all of the the fake news that's been flying around uh, um, obviously since uh, uh, former president donald trump's day um and uh and uh from then on the russians i think and uh, probably ukrainians to, to a lesser extent have been very good at throwing uh fake news out there so um it's still very hard to judge what what is happening? What we can see is, though, without a doubt, is the effect on companies um, that have been hit by the sanctions, and that's something that we can see very clearly indeed. And certainly, one of the companies that we're going to talk about shortly um, is a very good example of that. But uh, but for the, the, there are risks, of course. Uh, the um, there was a, a, a comment on Reuters this morning about the USQ. Uh, US yield curve um, is inverting and uh, that signals a recession alarm in, in some ways. But um, let, let's not forget that uh, we still have an ongoing uh, squeeze in the commodity and energy sector. Um, Russia's economy is, um, it, I wouldn't say irreparably, irreparably damaged, but it's uh, certainly severely damaged because um, the wheels have have been put in motion to with a lot of the Western economies to uh, to bring energy in from the US and to bring energy in from elsewhere. So uh, once those deals are in place, I doubt those will be undone anytime soon. And the strategy, I'm sure, of the West will be to continue to weaken the Russian economy uh, uh, going forward. So, so yeah, I think in the, I think in summary, John, I think we're um, we're we've just got to take this one day at a time. Uh, but uh, I don't see. Uh, I don't see a huge reaction one way or another from the markets until we get some very clear signals that Russia does intend to end this war.
1: Indeed, and hopefully that comes sooner rather than later for the people in Ukraine. So, Anna, you mentioned there the inversion of the yield curve. Now, this is a a particularly interesting uh, setup in, in markets because it does signal historically... Uh, that investors are more pessimistic about the future than they are um about the you know the, the short term so that suggests and it, and it has um, in some circumstances been a precursor to a recession um in the united states so this is in the inversion in uh the us yield curve i mean it, this is something that you know will be covered by by the uh financial press as we are obviously covering here but how much of a um, concern, should this be for investors, Alan? It always grabs the headline. As soon as we get an inverted uh, yield curve, it, it, it's straight up there. Everyone's covering it. And, you know, look at Twitter. There'll be lots of different, uh, you know, sort of tweets and charts of, you know, showing the uh, the inversion there. So, I mean, is this something that investors should really be concerned about? Or do you think this is just sort of a realignment? And, you know, we may see, you know, a move back to, you know, a more normal yield curve uh, in the near future.
0: Uh, well, it's it, it's it's uh, the the U.S. yield curve has always been fairly prophetic in in regard to uh, the prediction of of the direction of markets, and there was a brief inversion in August and September two thousand nineteen. And of course, no one really foresaw the the uh, far reaching impact that COVID nineteen would have, but that did, in a sense. Uh, Flag up um, a change, uh, a change in in, in the in, in world markets and and in the world order. And of course, um, the the problem is that we are battling inflation levels now um, on a surge in energy prices. Uh, surging commodity prices, which of course is uh, is inversely great for the the companies uh, seeking to uh, seeking out uh, uh, um, metals and minerals to power the new the new industries. Um, but uh, but this does mean, of course, that uh, the Federal Reserve may move to hike rates a little more aggressively. We've seen several moves already this year, both from the U.S. Fed and of course the Bank of England to try and put the brakes on inflation. Um, And even though the, you know, for the UK, for instance, the alternative energy supplies sourced from the US will start to make some impact. um, It's going to be a long time before we can switch away completely from uh, energy from the east. And of course, for the European nations, um, they are wholly reliant on Russian energy, which uh, is a far more serious issue. But um, but that's the that's the issue, of course, that's haunting markets. Will the Fed act aggressively, raise interest rates to um, to 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 hike uh, to, to 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 stop the hike in prices that we're currently seeing? Um, of course, that will spin, that will uh, uh, that will reflect positive, positively across financial stocks. Of course, banks will be able to pay greater rates of interest, so that's one positive out of it. But uh, overall, it's not good news for the markets if that happens.
1: Yes, there was a report from the Federal Reserve of San Francisco that was issued in 2018 and they found in a six, six to 24 month period after each inversion of a yield curve since 1955, there was indeed a recession. So, uh, you know, there's obviously, you know, a relatively long time frame, six to 24 months. That could well be two years away from here. But that does uh, provide, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of concern for for market participants um, out there. But, you know, of course, this could be something that happens, uh, you know, two years down the the line. And as you mentioned there, I think people will be probably focused more on the short term and what the Federal Reserve is actually going to be doing Um, Some investment bank economists have predicted you know as much as a, as a 2% uh, increase in rates in the united states this year so that's something that uh, you know investors should be looking at and seeing how that has uh, has an impact yeah. because of course there is uh, you know that risk of a, of a policy mistake which can actually induce uh, recessions and with that uh, significant levels of volatility in the market so that's going to be of course we, we've touched on Uh, so far this year in the the podcast, you know, a big theme, and that will continue to be so. But in in, in times, um, you know, of volatility like this, people look to gold, and we've discussed gold in the podcast uh, relatively recently, but we can now look at a a gold stock, which has very close ties to Russia in polymetal. Now, this is a company that gave up almost 90% of its value, um, from its recent high to the low on the uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, but we're starting to pick up in in the stock. You know we're we're sort of trading above three pounds at the moment. It was at one point beneath a pound, but they've given us an update today, um, Alan. Uh, I think probably in an effort to try and soothe some of the uh, the fears of investors about sanctions and what their actual underlying business is doing. So what does that look like? Well.
0: Um, polymetal is interesting because of course uh, yeah it's directly in the line of fire as it were for for sanctions and um, uh, because of its Russian businesses and and, uh, there was an article in the Financial Times by Neil Hume um, a few days ago that uh, looked at polymetal and uh, because of the dramatic effect it's had and you know if you want to see the, the effect the sanctions have on stock prices. I think the polymetal metal chart is probably a very good example because the co- the company literally dropped to to uh, something like a, like a tenth of its value. It's uh, it absolutely fell through the floor. But of course, uh, um, you know we're seeing a very strong bounce back now. Even though, of course, we're only at three pounds ninety at the moment. It's been, as you say, John, dropped below a pound at one stage. Um, but uh, the, the, the board are considering, um, uh, well uh, Neil, Neil's words, uh, to combat the departure of, of investors, Polymetal is considering splitting its Russian and Kazakhstan businesses, each with their own listing. So, of course, what that would do is ensure that uh, the Kazakhstan um, assets um, would be unaffected by anything that Russia does, uh, whereas, of course, the Russian assets can be listed separately and uh, and can be um can be uh, dealt with and run in a, in accordance and uh taking into account the the impact the sanctions would have and certainly um in an update today the uh the 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 company set, provided a a business update on um the, the impact of, of the sanctions big increase in net debt of course to 1.9 billion um and of course this is a company with uh, a market cap of 1.87 billion currently. So, of course, that's a major problem in terms of of the company's uh, ability to keep trading. And uh, this is the, the this is these are some of the um, the the effects that we'll see from sanctions. And of course, um, the, the company has borrowing with the Russian banks, but they can only borrow from Russian banks in rubles. As we know, the interest rates for uh, in Russia have gone through the roof, um, and ruble interest rates are currently. Between twenty three and twenty five percent on on average, so the group is able to borrow money, but can only borrow money at an incredibly uh, expensive uh, 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 level. Um, In terms of um, in terms of production, uh, the production guidance the company provided of one point seven million ounces of gold remains in place. So the the operation operationally, the companies are continuing. Uh, and of course um, you know uh, dividends won't uh, w- won't be uh, reintroduced for some time but uh, there the, the there is uh, the company has undertaken a, a risk review and um, has yet to um, uh, uh, really update on any material changes other than other than that um, it doesn't seem to be uh, the company doesn't seem currently to uh, to have been affected in terms of its production uh it's it is purely sanctions that have impacted this so as a as a speculative recovery play at this time, I think polymetal probably offers you know for the speculative investor a really good opportunity because the gold obviously we know what 's happening with gold at the moment the the gold price is is uh is is uh, is, is, is high and uh, will remain so for for the foreseeable future because of the crisis but also um the, the the opportunity of recovery that the stock offers right now um if the if the peace price if the peace talks do come to fruition could be huge you know we could see the stock bounce back and maybe recover half its value i mean it's already on on route now in one sense um so so yeah it's uh for the speculative investor i think polymetal probably is one of the best uh, stocks around right now, although on for me personally, it, um, I, I wouldn't touch it.
1: Yes. Yeah. As you said, it's it's a particularly racy stock and one for the adventurous investor, dare I say it, trader, because, um, yeah. you know, they're sort of taking a longer term view in a company like this at the moment, you know, may pay off, but comes with significant risks. But that doesn't get away from the fact that polymetal is a, a top 10 global gold producer Um, obviously what's happening above ground doesn't change what they have below ground so that you know that resource Mm. will be there but of course you know if if this conflict rumbles on and you know there's further sanctions that would pose a very high risk to any investors in polymetal so as you said Alan not one for the faint-hearted there Mm. but of course you know, if this recovery uh, continues, there's a significant gap between where we are now and where it was trading before the the conflict. So definitely one to to keep an eye on. Maybe not to partake in um, if if you don't feel particularly adventurous. So Alan, now let's move on to a an interesting little company, actually one we discussed, I think, probably last year. Uh, maybe a little bit before that, um, in Gfinity, the esports company. Of course, last week we discussed BidStack. That's you know obviously harnessing the the rise in um, gaming and mobile gaming through uh, native advertising. Now, Gfinity, of course, linked to to video games as well, but from a slightly different angle. In as far as it's a, it's an esports operator and has a has a media business. We had their half year results. Uh, this morning, Alan, um, 8% increase on the on the same period in terms of revenue um, last year. Um, I would question whether that's you know a particularly strong set of figures because you know, you'd know you expect uh, a company like this to be posting high, uh, high growth figures. But what's um, what's been happening there?
0: Yeah, this is a it's, it's an interesting company, John. And I mean, we all know the esports arena is burgeoning at the moment. And esports, of course, uh, was set up to provide um, uh, offline uh, esports competitions, uh, usually the held at the esports arena in Fulham, and of course online at gfinity.net. dot um, net. And uh, the uh, the company, I think, has done very well in developing its own channels and uh, creating programmatic advertising partnerships, which, as you say, also include BidStack and through Vinartis and the company also set up its own advertising platform from, from scratch and um has done very well since launching it uh, last year um has loads of partnerships um with racing games um uh, with uh, a, a formula one bt sport the e-cricket challenge um and uh, e-premier league and uh, you know it's very much is, is very much involved at uh, yeah, almost um, almost with every single major sport that's uh, played in in an esports arena uh, um, um, or online. Um, but yeah, the numbers themselves, as you say, don't make particularly impressive reading. 3.3 3 million, up 8%. Um, still running at an operating loss of 400,000 from a, uh, a 900,000 loss the previous year. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it's improving. But the John Clark, uh, who took over as CEO uh, uh, um, about 18 months ago, has driven the business forward. Uh, but I think there, there were two issues. Firstly, because of COVID, um, the company expected or has seen, should I say, a slower than expected return to uh, live e-sports, event, e- esports events, which has impacted on profits. But um, the company was at pains to point out that it won't affect Long-term prospects or the future pathway to profitability uh, next year, um, and also uh, and also um, a, a, an advertising partnership that was expected to come to fruition didn't come to fruition and has materially impacted on the numbers. Um, it's often the way with the developing business, and I mean, John, when we spoke about BidStack, of course, you, you know that uh, the the delay in in getting numbers across the line there was well documented. And uh, it it is an issue for technology businesses that sometimes platforms are expected to come on stream and the company makes an announcement to that effect. And then uh, through factors beyond their control, it's delayed by three, six months. And of course, that then falls into maybe the next reporting period, which means the company misses target. But the, the long-term outlook, the, 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 uh, Objectives of the company are still met, albeit not within the time frame. So this is this is, I think, where Gfinity is right now. Um, and certainly, John Clark said uh, with results today, um, they've the, they've seen a continued improvement in financial performance despite the delay uh, and, and return to uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, li- live events. Um, but also, the the uh, the advertising business is is doing very well they're seeing a, a, a record a record engagement across the group and record revenue per user and of course that's a key metric in this business um, they're seeing a, a, a 270% increase in um, revenue per user since the uh, since the uh, the um, the uh, that the platform was launched um, so uh, in summary, the company is saying all the macro trends remain in our favor and of course following the fundraise uh, that took place um the company's now got plenty of operating liquidity to uh to propel them to uh the their target of reaching profitability by two thousand twenty three um, and of course we look at the share price it's been it's uh, everything's of course fell off a cliff after the russian invasion and Gfinity was no exception but the trend over the year i think was down um uh, at that point and after the fundraise of course uh, you know the the uh, diluted position after that is that uh, the market cap is just under 16 million so so you look at the numbers they're producing for a technology business you know that's not a particularly racy valuation so i think if we start to see evidence that people are returning to live events um, uh, further evidence of the companies platforms succeeding online and further deals then it this could be a very good level to buy to buy in at for continued growth in
1: in the sector indeed and one thing looking at at this company I just want to make a comparison against one of their closest peers listed here in London in in Guild Esports now just looking now, with, with these companies, it's not appropriate to look at their earnings because they're, they're in growth phase. Yeah. They're, they're in a growth phase at the moment. So you, you have to discard those. You can't start trying to make, uh, you know, um, sort of P-E P ratio comparisons because there simply isn't any earnings. And, and there shouldn't be because you'd expect a company like this to be investing in, in further growth. But looking at the at the top line uh, multiples, when, you, when you're looking at uh, Gfinity, um, given that they've just reported – um, 3.3 million revenue for the for the last uh, six months prior to that I believe it was 2.7 equates to six million if you're looking at the current market cap of, of 17 million it's only trading at 2.8 times sales when you make a comparison to guild eSports which is of course backed by David Beckham if you take their their latest set of results they put out their final results Um earlier on uh, this year, they're, they're looking at a, a revenue of around 2 million, trading at 10 million. So you're looking at a multiple there of, of five times revenue. So to me, that suggests that either Guild Sports is, is overvalued. But I think more, more likely the case at trading at just 2.8 times their revenue, Gfinity has scoped to move back up, I feel, in line with uh, with Guild Esports, of course, both these companies have have deals that haven't been recorded in their revenue yet, yeah. and there may be yeah. you know differentiations between between the two. There, I know, obviously, Gfinity have a, had a few that that didn't materialise, and I know um, Guild Esports have have actually signed some pretty lucrative deals. So that. That may explain uh, the discrepancy in in the valuation there, but still, you know, looking at what they've actually done and what's been recorded, and you know, I think there is scope there for for Gfinity to move back in line with uh, with their competitor there. So I think that would be something um, that plays out if we if we see you know decent numbers from their next updates. Um, I think that's going to be key with Gfinity. There's been disappointment there, and I think that's why they're. They're trading at a bit of a discount, um, so we'd like to see some strong figures from them. And I'm not sure they'll get moving, moving back up. I was actually holding myself of, of Gfinity at around four p. Thankfully, I, I I sold them, but certainly starting to look interested again down here.
0: I agree. Yep.
1: So, Alan, let's now move on to Cadence Minerals. They they've had you know really uh, a transformational. Uh, one would say six months. Um, with you know what's been going on with the, the, the Amapa Iron Ore um, project, you know that that's coming along nicely. Um, I believe the team's on the way to look at uh, pre-feasibility studies at the moment, which is going to be yielding some exciting results, I feel, um, at some point this year. But we're going to touch on Cadence's lithium interests this morning, Alan. They've put out an announcement and they've secured. Um, a sale of one of their assets, I believe.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, as you say, uh, as you say, uh, John. You know, the, the focus has been very much on Mappa, and rightly so. I mean, what they've achieved there is pretty amazing. You know, for uh, for, for for a small AIM listed company, you know, they are punching well above their weight with this asset. Um, and of course, um, they've already uh, through the recent fundraise at 20p, they've already secured the second. Phase of the Mapper project, which is twenty seven percent, and uh, the uh, the pre-feasibility study is underway. Uh, uh, the great thing is, of course, with Mapper, it was a producing mine valued by Anglo American on their books at six hundred million dollars in two thousand twelve, um, and has a reputation as a producer of high quality iron ore the world over. So. Uh, the the tailings for a mapper are the port of Santana. Some of those are already been shipped through the through the uh process of uh extracting a mapper out of administration. Um and those buyers include some of the major steel companies around the world. So, you know, it's it's incredibly exciting. So they um the the uh, company have um uh, or Cadence have already uh, undertaken uh, uh, a, a a mineral or, or or looked at a mineral resource estimate for a mapper which has been increased by 21% on the previous numbers and that's been looked at again uh, as often happens with these assets uh, the the uh, the uh, the iron ore uh, structure in the ground uh, is often extended and can extend into other areas, and that's what the com- company's currently looking at. Um, but also, the infrastructure there has been uh, has been sort of refurbished and brought back to life, and this is the process that the company goes going through at the moment. And indeed, we're going to hear more from the mapper I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Um, but of course, Cadence is made up of a number of assets. Um, there are the, the it's got a, a, an 8.7 stake stake percent stake in European Metals Holdings, which owns the Sinevec Lithium project in uh, In uh, Czechoslovakia, um, it also has uh, a a stake a thirty percent stake in uh, certain um, uh, areas at the Yabanerras project in uh, in uh, Western Australia um, also has uh, a thirty percent stake in concessions at the uh, Sonora Lithium Project, well, the the Megalith Project, which is on the uh, in the Sonora area in Mexico, where the Sonora Lithium Project is, um, and also the hard rock assets that uh, are the subject of of today, um, which are where the company has has uh, a range of um, hard rock assets, three key assets in uh, Australia. Um, that's the Litchfield Project, the Picasso Project. And the Alcuta project, and also with that some hard rock assets in in uh, in Argentina, and Cadence a recent agreement with the other shareholders um, uh, that own this group of assets uh, to sell uh, lithium technologies and lithium supplies for up to twenty one million Australian dollars, which is just under twelve million sterling. Cadence owns 315 percent of the of that. The, that asset group, so it's a thirty-one and a half percent shareholder, so it could get up to 3.7, 3.8 million sterling back from that sale uh, in the consideration of cash and shares. So this is this is a great return, really, for something that uh, um, uh, the uh, Kieran Mazaria and the board acquired some years ago. And of course, lithium is now hugely important in, uh, for EVs and for clean technology. Um, and the, the group have sat on the assets. Mining investment company. They've they've invested and they now have a chance to sell the the assets on to a company that's going to develop them and bring them to market. The most prolific of these, of course, is the Lithium project, which is contiguous to the uh, the core um, core exploration Finis Lithium project, which um, which has uh, has a substantial um, has a substantial asset in the ground. There thought to be some seven and a half. Million tons of of uh, of lithium oxide, uh, so yeah, it, it's a good move for Cadence. Brings more cash into the coffers over the years, and uh, of course, um, you know, contributes substantially to the, the upside that that, that uh, the, the, the upside for Cadence. But I'm still astonished that the market cap is where it is at about 30 million. I mean, the company with the MAPA asset alone, um, you know, being valued at 600 million, Cadence has an opportunity to earn into half, uh, to, to acquire half of that. It has first right or first refusal as shareholder to own up to 49% of the assets. So, uh, you know, I, I do see, I still expect to see a significant revaluation for Cadence stock at some time in the not too distant future.
1: Indeed, um, we produced a report recently on Cadence Minerals, and if you break down their their, their assets, as you mentioned, there, Alan, that uh, market cap of of thirty million would leave you scratching your head as to why that is the current market cap. And it's obviously a good move, I feel, today from them in terms of realigning their portfolio and providing them with some cash uh, to focus on their core assets. So, looking forward to see how that's uh, how that's deployed. And do check out the single uh, company report section on the UK Investor Magazine website because you'll be able to download our latest report there on uh, on Cadence Minerals, which breaks down their assets in uh, in more detail. So, Alan, just finishing off here now. We we have uh, a company which is currently, I believe, preparing for a IPO in london in spectrum x would you able to tell us a little bit more about them please yes of course
0: john yeah so uh, spectrum x um are a are a company engaged in the use uh, and the commercialization of something called hydro hydrochlorous acid and hydrochlorous acid is is effectively produced from our white blood cells and from white blood cells and uh, is extremely effective it kills It kills all of the major uh, uh, respiratory bugs such as COVID and also um, other bugs like MRSA. It kills them stone dead. So it's absolutely incredibly effective. But um, unlike uh, the traditional, um, uh, uh, for example, with hand sanitization with alcohol, which uh, kills everything, there is no side effects. Um, It's kind to skin and so on. Um, but they've also discovered through uh, developing hydrochlorous acid that um, it, has, uh, it, it has it has it's forming the basis for a groundbreaking inhalation treatment for COVID pneumonia bronchitis asthma flu and so on. Um, so on, there are two 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 arms of the company. The direct uh, or SpectrumX Direct um, uh, is a range of hand sanitizers um, and also. Um, Cosmetics, skin cosmetics, uh, the Spectra Skin um, uh, uh, branch of the company is is all about um, cosmetics and uh, and and, and skin care. Then we have the uh, the the alcohol free range of sanitizers. uh, best known as Spectricet, um and it's already been approved by the NHS, and it's in use in major city hospitals up and down the country, including Chelsea and Westminster, Westminster Hospital and, um, and West Middlesex uh, Hospital. Um, the uh, the SpectrumX medical um, uh, branch of the company, as I say, deals with this groundbreaking treatment. Now, um, a company called Synergen um, had a product called SNG001, Um, to treat uh, 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 um, respiratory diseases um, that I I, I outlined just now in the same way, uh, using a process called Interferon Beta. um, And uh, testing, unfortunately, revealed that um, it wasn't going to work. The uh, Spectrum X Medical has already undergone in vitro testing, is proved to be 100% effective. um, And uh, Phase 2 trials are currently underway at the Medical University of, of Innsbruck, for the nebulized treatment of covid 19 using the spectrum X uh, uh, um, the spectrumx uh, 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 a clinical model called SPC 06069 so this is hugely important um, the the technology has been around for years but actually uh, it's uh, spectrum microbials in California who have actually been able to commercialize and and put the technology into place um, and of course it's being it's been been brought to market this way by by Spectrum X in the in in the UK, um, the the company has also undertaken two major um, uh, board appointments uh, recently. The CEO is Damien uh, Hancock,s who is a uh, is 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 well known in the field. He's um, he's long established uh, a serial uh, entrepreneur um, in the medical field. Uh, we also have um, Barry Saint, just appointed CFO, um, and has uh, served on. Uh, so, so with many many companies, um, formerly chief financial officer at Indivio, a FTSE two hundred and fifty company, and Deborah Reeves just been appointed non-exec director. Uh, she's formerly Pfizer, uh, Glaxo, G Healthcare, um, um, and also is chair at, at Telerex and um, a non-exec director at Cambridge uh, Cognition. So uh, a really you know a, a board with a, a serious amount of um, uh, of. Uh, hep- of of heavyweight uh, industry um, experts there. So the company is floating on the market um, with a valuation of 50 million. Um, They've already raised uh, over 10 million to date. And uh, there is an opportunity for sophisticated uh, self-certified investors to continue or or to participate in the IPO um, uh, before it closes. And the funds of course will be used to continue to support the clinical trials um, and uh, and and to c- continue to support the launch of UK products, but this is absolutely huge. It's it's going to be um, you know one of the biggest IPOs of the year, I, I think, in in the sector in terms of its uh, profile. Um, and uh, if anyone listening is interested in participating, if you go to spectrumx.com website, s p e c t r u m x.com. Go to the Investor Relations page and you can find out how to request the uh, investment information from there.
1: Fantastic, Alan. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, just as a recap there of the stocks that we discussed today, um, first of all, it was Polymetal with a ticker of P-O-L-Y. It was then Gfinity with a ticker of G-F-I-N. It was then, of course, Cadence Minerals, which has a ticker of K-D-N-C. And then was uh, Spectrum X, as detailed by Alan. You can find more details on their website. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today.
0: Thanks very much, John.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast, and we really value any reviews and
0: comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player.